Welcome back to week 12 of Loss of Down. We are live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That is right. I am sitting next to the legendary Walter Lukashensky here in Pittsburgh. Wally, it's great to be in person with you again, buddy. How the fuck are you? Dude, it's awesome that you're here. It's crazy that uh, folks both live within five, ten minutes of each other right outside the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm pretty fired up to get the get a little Thanksgiving uh, football action tomorrow. So it's a good time to be back. Yeah, we're only having the two games as opposed to the three. I'm sure everyone heard about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens game getting postponed due to the positive corona test of Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and the increasing players that it's surrounding. So that sucks. No Thursday night football on Thanksgiving. But hell, two out of three is not bad. You know what they say about big hands and big feet? Two out of three ain't bad, Wally. Just like tomorrow for football. I'm so I'm pumped. I mean, this week was absolutely crazy. Tom Brady is officially the new Kirk Cousins. The Raiders blew it, but not like the Packers did, baby. Tua got benched in the fourth quarter. Ravens have found their second kryptonite in the Tennessee Titans. But first, before we hop in here, I do have some very saddening news for the soccer and the cocaine world of Diego Maradona passing today, the Argentinian football legend passing away at 60 today, suffering from a heart attack. Not the way you want to start your Thanksgiving. That man definitely knew how to party. Well, honestly, amazing and credit to him for even making it 60 years. If you watched him a few years ago at the Russian World Cup, you never would have thought this guy's still kicking around. But, hey, good for him. And uh, it's a shame. I know I'm, I'm getting into soccer the last few years and one of the icons of the sport. So you never – these are tough days, but – I mean, you can't say he didn't enjoy his life, so I'll give him that. Yeah, he definitely lived life to the fullest. As my buddy Adam Alfonso say, fellow Argentinian, live fast, die young. That's exactly what he did. So let's go into the hair of the dog here with a little bit more of an upbeating news. We have the Hall, Hall of Fame nominations for possible inductees here. A couple of big names. I'm sure that we uh, we definitely know. And unfortunately, we're getting to that age where we know these players getting inducted. And it's increasingly depressing. But whatever. It just brings back memories and nostalgia of when we used to watch these players. Leading the class, first time eligible, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Jared Allen, and Calvin Johnson. Then there's just a plethora of other people here. That includes Rondé Barber, Leroy Butler, Alan Fanica, Torrey Holt, John Lynch, Clay Matthews Sr., Richard Seymour, Fred Taylor, Zach Thomas, Heinz Ward, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Darren Woodson, and a couple people that finally... We're still too young to recognize, so that's a plus. Drink that in while you can. It, this is weird, too, because you have to be retired five years before you're eligible. We were talking about before we, we started recording, it feels impossible that Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Jared Allen, and Calvin Johnson have been out of the league for more than five years right now. Especially Calvin Johnson, mostly because he shouldn't be out of the league. He still arguably should be in the league. He could step back in right now, and if he was on the right team, he could be a 1,000-yard receiver in the shape he's in. Oh, he could be a thousand yard receiver in an eleven game span. Guy's insane. Got it's it. insane and criminal what the the lines have done to some of the all time greats. So that's that's going to bring us to our next point here. Top five out of all the name the out of all the players that we just named here, four to eight of those are going to be inducted. But we're just going to break it down to five. Wally, who are your five players that you're picking to be inducted into the Hall of Fame here? Well, this this year, like we just mentioned, with those four that are first time on the ballot. This new class is insane. Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning, and Calvin Johnson, for me, are all sure first ballot Hall of Famers. Jared Allen will be a Hall of Famer, just not a first ballot Hall of Famer to me. And if you're making me pick two other players for me, I'm stuck between three players. It's Patrick Willis, Alan Fanica, and Torrey Holt. 
for me, I would just leave Alan Fanica off the list right now. Nothing uh, against him. It, he'll get in as well. It's just going to be a little bit longer of a time. Lyman, it takes a little bit longer, especially with guys like Torrey Holt. The wide receivers in the Hall of Fame, there's so many that guys like him are being left out or made, forced to wait, and that just seems unfair. This guy was insane. It, he was a part of the greatest show on turf when we were growing up. So I, I for me, Torrey Holt and Patrick Willis get the final nods. But don't forget Tom Flores should be in too. Raiders coach, first Latin American uh, head coach in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl winner. The fact that he's still not in is insane to me. But, Stephen, I'll let you go on. Give me your five. I'm sure there's no bias whatsoever here coming from you with this list. Ooh, a little foreshadowing in here. Of course, there's going to be some bias. You know, I'm going to have Peyton Manning here. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer written all over it. Charles Woodson, that's both our guys right there. That's an ex-Raider. He came to the Packers, won the Super Bowl that, you know, obviously Oakland couldn't drive him to get. So we had to go there. And then he went back and spent the rest of his career in Oakland. So I got to get Charles Woodson the nod. Of course, Calvin Johnson, he wasn't on my team, but I watched him enough spank my team, especially the Green Bay secondary, to the point where I didn't even care. It was just so enjoyable to watch Calvin Johnson be Calvin Johnson. These next two I have in here, Patrick Willis, absolute dog. Another person that we that we lost too soon in the game. I, we'd still be seeing him on the back nine of his career. Meanwhile, we were just talking about that. Unfortunately, he cut it soon. Obviously, it's a it's a smart personal physical investment to get out of the game. So good for him. Protect your chickens. Protect your mentals. There you go. Okay. It's funny. It says protect your chickens. Beast mode was out giving turkeys out in the hood today. Good point. Great point. He's keeping all the birds safe, even though birds aren't real. And then the last one, of course, my man, Leroy Butler. There's the bias you've been looking for. The Packers safety. He's 1990s all-decades team, one of the best strong safeties to play. Packers Hall of Fame, which really doesn't mean anything. Four-time Pro Bowler. Of course, you know he's got that Super Bowl. And the creator of the legendary Lambeau Leap. That's right. Defensive player was the first one to do the Lambeau Leap. Whoever would have thought that? It's crazy, too. And, of course, it's against the Raiders. And not to start this show off too much with Raiders-Packers talk, but it will be cool, too, to see when Charles Woodson does get inducted, who he goes in with, because it's been kind of a, a debate between franchises for the fan bases for the last, like, five, ten years. And it will be interesting, but, I mean, I think that without the Super Bowl, it'd be without a doubt the Raiders, but that Super Bowl and how much of a pivotal role he played with the Packers, I think it, it could at least weigh on his mind. We'll see. I'm biased, so I will always think of him as a Raiders first. Uh, but but we'll see his uh, decision ultimately here in a few months when he's inducted. We'll see. Now, this is tricky. I personally, I think that he will go in as a Raider as well. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and try to fight for the Packers, but he did play some of his greatest ball with the Packers, which is hard. I mean, this is when he won NFL defensive player of the year. He won rookie of the year, defensive mm-hmm. rookie of the year with you guys. Two time interceptions leader. That was with Green Bay. NFL 2000s All-Decades team, that's essentially both of us. I think that we can both shake the hand on that one. I'm going to have to give it to the Raiders. I'll let you keep that one. I think a lot of it, it would have been erased if the Raiders did manage to beat the Bucs in the Super Bowl in 2002. But the fact that they didn't, it makes it close because he did play some of his best ball with the Packers. And that Super Bowl win against the Steelers in the early 2010s was, I mean, it's the best moment of this millennium with the Packers so far. And with him... And he went out of the Super Bowl as well. Mm-hmm. Heard his collarbone on that. He went up for an interception, landed on it awkwardly. I remember that because him and Donald Driver 
both got hurt in that Super Bowl. And those were our old guys, our old wiry veterans that we always relied on. And to see them ultimately Green Bay overcome that, it was awesome. Finally got Charles that uh that Super Bowl. He, you always hear stories about him talking about he's trying to cheer. He lifts his arm up and he forgets his collarbone's broken half the time. So got that ring and he's going to get that gold jacket. And we are officially moving on to the first couple sips of this hangover. That is right. The hair of the dog. All the shitty games that you don't really want to talk about, you don't really want to listen about. So we're just going to get right through it, just like this fresh Bud Light that I just cracked open here for us, Wally. And we're going to start in New Orleans, where the Saints take care of business against the Falcons without Drew Brees. Taysom Hill coming in, putting up a solid performance. 18 to 23, 233 yards, 10 carries, 51 yards, and two touchdowns. Not much of Kamara in this game. Mike Thomas showing that. He's finally back and not arguing with some of his teammates. Nine receptions, 104 yards. But, man, Wally, what the fuck? This is when the Falcons are supposed to come in, beat the Saints, kind of play a spoiler around the holidays to keep them out of playoff contention or a higher seed. And the Falcons get outgained and sacked eight times by this defense. God, how much of a dumpster fire are these Atlanta Falcons? And does this game give you enough trust to have Taysom Hill as your quarterback moving forward? See, I was very critical of the Saints going to Taysom Hill this last week. I thought that Jameis Winston was the guy to go forward with this team. But what it comes down to is that the Saints trust their defense. And with Taysom Hill, they're basically telling him, go out there, be responsible with the ball. We don't expect you to win the game. Just don't lose us the game. And I'll say this much. He did that this weekend. He protected the ball. He completed, what, over 80% of his passes this last weekend. And, I I mean, yeah, everything was underneath. But you kind of have to expect that going forward, I think, unless they are willing to go to more of a traditional quarterback like Jameis Winston. The Falcons are a dumpster fire, though. They're bad. They're not really worth too much the rest of the year, and I say that. So they will beat the Raiders this upcoming weekend because I am so low on this Falcons team and have been all year. It's crazy. There's so much talent on this offense. To see them just stifle the nine points is it's 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 inexcusable. I know they lost Dan Quinn earlier in the year. They're on an interim. But it doesn't matter. You, with an offense as talented as this one, to get nine points, it's it's about time where you start wondering, like, what's the problem? Is it not the coaches? Is it the personnel? And it's hard because, like you said, there's so much talent on that side of the ball. Uh, the only personnel problem that they're having is obviously the defensive side of the ball. They got Julio. They got Calvin Ridley. Hayden Hurst is having a career, a career year at tight end. Not anything special that's popping out on there, but he's doubling up his numbers, almost tripling them up from last year in that Baltimore Ravens offense that almost seemed unstoppable and were using a bunch of tight ends. Nonetheless, they spent a lot of draft capital in their O-line just for it to be shitty. They need to work on their defense. There needs to be something done. My guy, Evan Desker, does not want it blown up yet. He still wants Julio and Matt Ryan there. But what head coach needs to go there to get them straight? Desker was saying, Bill O'Brien, there's a lot of, yeah, there is a lot of rumor surfacing. He said, oh "Wow." My. Said if that's Bill O'Brien, they can kiss uh, my season tickets goodbye. I just, I, I don't know how Bill O'Brien gets another, another job with any kind of at least decision making process in in terms of personnel. Because what he did in in Houston was, I mean, a, sh- a shit show. I mean, he could should be arrested for what he did with DeAndre Hopkins. And I mean, this year you, as I a, see people get arrested for less. Yeah, I mean, Houston fans don't even have the solace to sit back and say, yeah, we're going to win four or five games this year, but at least we have a top 10 pick coming back. 
No, that's going to go and help Tua out and Brian Flores out in Miami. I hope you enjoy Laramie Tunsil. Good job, guys. <laughs> Start packing those gas masks up because it's getting No little, kidding. I'm starting to see the smoke rise up in Houston. I still can't get over that it was his dad that reported that. That that he had the or sent that picture on draft day of the gas mask. I hey, can't believe that. Hey, hell of a guy. Hell of a guy. <laughs> Something that we cannot believe, unfortunately, but we do. Speaking of Houston and Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals losing 20 to 9 against the Washington football team. But the biggest loss comes to those Bengals losing Joe Burrow to the season for the season, the torn ACL, and what is being reported is MCL and some other structural damage in that knee. Just like Deshaun Watson, when he tore his ACL halfway through his rookie year, Deshaun's actually reached out to him and said, I'd love to give you some tips, kind of help you out with uh, recovering through this injury. So that's awesome. But, man, we'll get we'll stick with Washington here real quick. Washington, some obviously will win. They were having a day against Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, as you can tell. That hit was ugly. That was not the only hit that he was taking all those games. Washington moves a little bit closer in the playoff hunt. But the main question is here, what is the next move for the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow being out and his timetable anywhere from 9 to 12 months? Uh, well, first of all, congrats to Alex Smith in Washington. That was Alex Smith's first win since coming back uh, with that knee injury. That's phenomenal and awesome to see going to the Bengals. First of all, I was watching this game with my dad and brother who are diehard Bengal fans, and they literally had to stop watching the game. They, they couldn't, and I don't blame them. It just... You, you, if you're a Bengal fan, you've been waiting for so long to finally have your guy. You thought you had it with Carson Palmer. That blew up in your face. He, he wanted out. Mike Brown and him had a personal well, rivalry. He had the ACL injury too. And then, yeah, they won out. He did. He had the, per, or the ACL injury in that Steelers wildcard game. The Steelers ended up going on to win that year. Who knows what happens if Carson Palmer stays healthy? This was a gut punch. Everybody's been screaming at the top of the mountaintops this entire, since the draft. If you do not find protection for Joey Burrow, you are going to break him. And it sucks that we got to see it happen so early. We just can only hope he does come back. This isn't like it was 20 years ago. This isn't a death sentence for his career. The last thing you want to see is him become the NFL's version of Sean Livingston, where he comes up with these massive expectations, has a catastrophic injury, and is forced to, I I guess, take a, a lesser role going forward. I don't think that'll be the case. But aren't you scared that this could ultimately be a a premature D Rose? You know, he was not, not saying that Joe Burrow is about to go on and win the MVP. Definitely, he was on pace to win Rookie of the Year, and now this is an injury that can potentially change his complete playing style. Because you know, I've been hearing the best thing about him are his instincts. He's able to get out, get out and run, slide, take hits. This is going to take a big ego hit for him. He's going to be a little bit scared and fragile once he gets back into the NFL again. See, I would usually feel that way, but maybe it's just me being a little too high on him. But this guy, he's got moxie that we don't usually see come out of of draft picks. I mean, this guy has been, he's experienced getting passed over, getting doubted. He was let effectively go by Ohio State when they decided to pick Dwayne Haskins as a starting quarterback over him. They send Joey Burrow, or Joey Burrow chooses to go to play for uh, LSU in Baton Rouge. And the guy, again, is doubted. He was projected to be a sixth-round pick after his junior year, and then he goes and blows up uh, his senior year. I mean, I I really like Jay Burrow. I'm going to choose to believe that he's going to come back from this just as good as, if not better, than he was before. Hopefully the Bengals take the next step now. They use the offseason to address the offensive line, and when he comes back, he has no nothing to worry about and can step in seamlessly. 
Okay, well, and here's the thing, too. Once Joey Burrow left, Ryan Finley came in and was terrible. Offense looked completely non-existent. Non-existent. You could honestly pair that with another game we got to see on Sunday. Detroit going to Carolina. Many of us, including myself, picked them to win that game outright. They go out and lose 20 to nothing in Carolina without their starting quarterback and starting running back. What in the world happened? And if I'm Detroit, how do you finish the season with Matt Patricia? Does that game last week not scream a team that quit on their coach? Absolutely. It epitomizes it. That is embarrassing. The Detroit Lions had a total of 185 yards oh, on offense. It's so bad. Against a Carolina Panthers team that is 17th, 18th overall, and one of the worst passing defenses in the league. And Matt Stafford can't do anything with that. P.J. Walker, though, my man in the XFL, went 5-0. and 1-0 in his first start. That brings him to a whopping 6-0 in all professional football games that he's started. <laughs> 258 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. That ultimately didn't matter. didn't really cost him anything. But, man, this Detroit Lions team. So, I'm sitting there at my girlfriend's house. And I was like, wow, the Lions are out of pick them against the Carolina Panthers. And the Panthers are starting P.J. Walker. I'm going to slap 100 on these lines. Not a problem. Line moves to two and a half real quick because that's when the P.J. Walker news came out. I said, oh, not a problem at all. I was better off just walking over to my kitchen sink, putting it in the garbage disposal along with my hand and just turning it on. It would have felt better. I mean, watching this game, I wish my hand was in a garbage disposal to take my mind off. Because well, it's it's hard not – well, I'm just staying calm during this because the lines are – Comeback kids. They love coming back, at least cardiac kids, and bring it close. I'm like, cool, this game has a field goal, a last-second field goal written all over it. And then got halfway to the third. Okay, I still got confidence. Then it got to the end of the third. Then it got to the fourth, and I was just completely, completely upset. The lines really fucked me. Brock Chamberlain usually comes over to my house. Every time he does four football, the lines get smacked. And he always blames it on my house. This week, the Lions get smacked, and Brock was shown on his on his couch by himself. So you cannot blame me this week, Brock. Feel free to come over this Sunday. I'm, I'd be pumped to have him. I'm going to have some wings. Matt, see, the thing is, too, this game to me feels like the moment where we're going to look back and say, Matthew Stafford's time in Detroit is over. There, If there was any chance of them trying to bring him back, it had to have been through this year if they did make a little bit of run. They're, this last month, they had a manageable schedule. They went one and three in that stretch. It's amazing they did that. The Lions now are at the point they have to look in the mirror, and you honestly don't want to start winning these games anymore. You're out of the, the wild card per, uh, picture now. And now, I mean, it's you let Stafford go, and you have to enter into that rebuild process, and they already have too many wins where they're not going to be in the fields of Lawrence sweepstake unless they trade up. So now it's a question of, if I am the GM in Detroit, I am taking a long, hard look in the mirror and figuring out, hey, obviously Patricia's not the step going forward. We cannot win with Stafford at this stage of his career. Where do we go from here? And the problem is, is for the Lions fans, I think this is a long rebuild. This is a you don't draft a quarterback this year, except you're going to suck next year, and then go next year and draft a quarterback. Maybe. Maybe. It's just a terrible spot to be in. I feel bad for the Lions fans and Panthers fans, like we've been saying all year. The That's a team that, when they're healthy, go in next year. I'd be fired up as a fan. This year was a weird year. They had been bar- like barraged 
with injuries. CMC, Teddy Bridgewater now, just brutal. But hey, good for PJ Walker. Let's see if he can earn himself at the very least a, a backup role in the NFL. Yeah, we'll see if he can string a couple uh couple nice wins here together. End the season strong, maybe get him a nice, not as lucrative contract as Teddy Bridgewater has, but maybe a nice chunk of salary to uh be that good backup like a Jacoby Brissett or potentially a team take a risk on him and just say, fuck it. He can stay in the pocket like Lamar cannot, but he can also get out of the pocket, make moves like Lamar, obviously not like the athleticism like him, but he can still make moves like that. But he's a he's a pretty fun, fun passer to watch as well. Unlike something that was fun to watch. I know we're in Pittsburgh, but that Steelers game, just them completely rolling over the Jaguars. Jaguars are horrible. We all know. Yada yada yada. We'll talk to you. We'll talk about you guys here probably closer to the end of the decade when you guys are maybe good at making another run. But for now, the Steelers are staying undefeated, 10 and 0 in Jacksonville. It's it's hard to talk about this game. You know, Big Ben, nothing special, 267 and a couple touchdowns. And their defense looking good with, you know, four takeaways and two sacks and only allowing 206 yards. It's funny, I'm laughing because our rundown says, and they got the Ravens on Thursday. So I'm gonna go ahead and delete that. That's pretty fucking depressing. Mm-hmm. But I'll give it to you here, Wally. Does this one say anything to you about this Steelers team, negatively or positively? Uh, see, for me, I mean, I'll, I'll give the Steelers credit. This is a game in years past, and you heard us last week talk about it. This is a game the Steelers would have played much closer, and they should have. This year, it feels a lot different. The defense isn't taking any prisoners. They have not taken a game off. The offense is not what we're used to. The biggest question going into the postseason for Steelers fans is, is Big Ben, is this offense going to be able to put up enough points to hang with teams like the Chiefs, teams like in the past, the Ravens? Now, not so much. But that's been a hang up for them for the last, I don't know, about two years since Big Ben went down last year uh, against Seattle in the second game of the year. Now, one thing I'd be really encouraged about is Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson are still tearing it up. Deontay Johnson had 12 catches over the weekend for 111 yards. Uh, Claypool has emerged as the deep threat there, another touchdown. I'd be fired up as a Steelers fan. I know this hair dog, we won't take too long. We'll talk much more about the Steelers once we get into the bets portion. But they were phenomenal, phenomenal this weekend. And I have no doubt that even when they do get the, the Ravens, if that's Sunday or whenever it is, they will push themselves to 11-0. Now, what we did get to see is a former Steelers rival this last week, the New England Patriots, a team they've never been able to get past. The Steelers aren't going to have to worry about that. New England lost this last weekend to Houston, pretty much ending their chance at making the postseason this year. The Texans won 27-20 at home. Just every time it feels like the Patriots are about to really break through, go, find that offensive rhythm that make them a real team, we get to see them struggle and Cam Newton, I know he had 365 yards over the weekend, but it's just not the same. They struggled to run the ball this weekend, which was their identity going into the past. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, we were talking off air yesterday. He's not been himself this year. The whole team, it almost just feels like they are taking a sabbatical this year. And we'll see next year. We'll see if New England addresses quarterback situation going forward, if they want to move on from Cam, which I doubt they do, or if they go free agency or potentially draft somebody. That's more Bella, uh, Belichick's MO. Just draft a guy later in the draft, try to develop. Steven, what do you think? Do you what do you take out of this game? This is two bad teams now, with especially the Texans, no real reason to look forward to the offseason. This was just the Texans team popping off after a couple, couple, two, three, uh, seven disappointing losses that they that that they've had in the season. 
just to couple up with their season in a nutshell. Uh, they just wanted to have this game. Deshaun Watson just went off 344 and two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. All three of those scores for him were in the first half. Man just absolutely went off, and they were pretty stagnant, only scoring a field goal in each quarter in the second half. The Patriots almost came back and, and beat them, proving, obviously, we know Bill Belichick is a great halftime adjuster, especially when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. He can still make those boys play. And you were alluding to how you think that maybe this Patriots team is taking a little bit of a sabbatical, half their defense, not even half their defense, you know, four or five of their very good starters. Um, they lost because they decided to opt out of this season, let alone they lost a couple key contributors to that defense and free agency, Kyle Van Noy being one of them to the rival Dolphins now. That being said, I it's the Patriots. There's really nothing too much for me to harp on here. Like you said, right when we think that we're they are about to break through that wall, they just kind of come back down to earth. If you want to beat this team, don't let them run all over you. Let Cam Newton throw the ball. We prove it there. Sure, 365 yards. That's one of his highest in his whole career. He's more of a rushing quarterback. Coupled in with like a 2 to 250 passing yards. But this kind of dawned on me right here. What if they don't want to get Cam Newton back in free agency? And a man who could be free after we were just talking about potentially blowing up that team, Matthew Stafford, could be a very good fit up in Foxborough. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question there would be, is New England willing to pay? I mean, New England's proven over the past they don't like paying for quarterback. They're they're more inclined on building the team around the quarterback. I mean, Tom Brady took hometown discounts his entire career there. And then Cam Newton just signed for a million dollars. So well, who knows? Cam Newton didn't really have that decision. That's probably the best contract that he was given. That's crazy to me to believe that he only got offered a million dollars by one team. You got to imagine. See, I think it's more or less he wanted the situation of being there with Belichick True. in that system, in that mind. But why would you not think Matt Stafford would want the same thing? That he wouldn't want to demand all this money because he's he was getting paid to essentially just be mediocre at best his whole career in Detroit. Would you want to take a slight pay cut? I don't know, make, maybe make 15 to 20 mil a year, which is so crazy to think that's a pay cut. Uh, but yeah, for a quarterback only making that, just a, you know, for a two, three year contract. I mean, it's definitely possible, especially, I mean, the thing was, is when he signed that mega deal in Detroit a few years ago, it made him the highest paid quarterback in the league. So it's just a, a question of, is he okay now, realizing he's not that guy anymore? Let's go to New England. Let's try to maximize my value, my win, or my chance to actually make the postseason in the later part of my career. So you could see it. I don't know how much of a discount it'll be, but I mean, that's that's going to be basically an entire episode in the offseason. Once football's done, we're going to have nothing to talk about but these kind of contracts. Exactly. And you don't need to make him the highest paid quarterback. But a fun comparison I can think of, Matt Stafford, you take away wins and losses. I'd compare him with Peyton Manning, great regular season quarterback. We don't know if he can get it done in the playoffs. He's never been there. Peyton can never get it done in the playoffs. He's been there once. So basically, never what? He was there for a game. Yeah, lost. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So just like Peyton, Peyton loved choking, but he's a great regular season quarterback. Matt Stafford, one of eight quarterbacks to have a 5,000-yard passing season. So the guy can ball. That's all I'm going to say. Into New England, I think, would be a lot of fun. Unlike playing in New York for the Jets. Winless Jets, shocker, stay winless against the visiting Chargers. Don't let the score fool you. It was 34-28, but the Chargers maintained the lead in that game the entire time. Well, except for the opening the opening drive, the Jets block a punt, end up scoring on that drive to go up 6-0. 
Chargers go on to score 24 unanswered points in that half. They lead 24-6 at half. Score 10 more points. The Jets decide they want to be a football team in the last few minutes. Turn it into a game. Yada, yada, yada. But Justin Herbert continuing his nice rookie season. 366 yards, three touchdowns with a new haircut. Keenan Allen going off 16 receptions, 145, tu- 145 yards and a touchdown. New York is ass. I don't know how Adam Gase is still in the league, but... With Joey Burrow out, is Justin Herbert the new candidate, number one person for rookie offensive rookie of the year, Wally? I think there's a realistic shot that even if Joey Burrow didn't get hurt, that Herbert would have had a shot to win it. It would have been very close. I would have personally picked Joey Burrow, but the way it's going, assuming Herbert does stay healthy, it's without a doubt his now. And I mean, this was one of those games that I won't even pretend that I was super uh, watching very closely. It felt like the Chargers, because the Chargers were up throughout the game. They felt comfortable. They'd been playing really well. And then all of a sudden, I blinked. You're watching Red Zone on Sunday. And all of a sudden, you look back and the Jets have the ball down six at the end of the game with a chance to win. That would have been the most Chargers way to possibly lose a game. Yeah, this game really meant nothing for either one of these teams. Chargers are much better in their record shows, but they're not going anywhere this year. The AFC is way too deep. They can't crawl back into it. But I mean, hey, you know what? Credit to the Jets. They're still going out and playing hard. That's a very tough thing to do when you're 0-9. And being mentioned as one of the worst historical teams in the NFL, to go out and actually give your all every week, good for them. Uh, but no, I, I <laughs> with six games left, it's increasingly evident that this team is going 0-16. I'm confident there is not a game on their schedule that they can win. Do you, Who would you guess right now, if the Jets were going to beat somebody, who would it be? You know what I'm you know what I'm gonna pick? Two was game back this week. The Jets are gonna be fired up. They got a divisional opponent. It's a divisional game, always very hard fought. Very familiar with your foe. I'm gonna go with that game. I think this Chargers game, they were finally getting getting it right. Offense was looking decent somehow with Joe Fluco as the quarterback. But I'm gonna go with the Jets this week against the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to ride with it, baby. If I was going to do it, I think I'm waiting. I'm going to do what the Browns almost had to do against the Steelers a few years ago when they went 0-16. They're going to have to beat their rival in Week 17. I think it's going to have to be the Patriots in the last week of the year. I don't think it happens. I think just like that Browns team, you see this Jets team go defeated, so to speak. I don't see a win here. And uh, Speaking of not seeing wins, I did not see a win coming for the Cowboys this last week when they went to Minnesota. Andy Dalton... For as well as, I guess, played as well as you could have expected coming back at concussion, looking as poor as he did in his first little bit here of the season. He had 203 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. He kept him in the game. And I know Zeke hasn't been great this year, but if you can get Zeke, not to steal Rush's word a little bit here, if you can get Zeke to cook a little bit, if you, you get him the ball, you get him confident, he's one of those guys that emotion is a huge part of his game. And if he's... The emotions taken out of it, he's a nobody. When he's feeling cocky and feeling himself a little bit, this team's a different ball game. I think this Cowboys team, as amazing as this is, and this isn't a congratulations, the Cowboys are good. It's a NFC East is really bad. I think with their schedule, they have the inside track to win the NFC East now. Yeah, it's very unfortunate to talk about, especially when they're playing Washington here tomorrow. That is going to be a huge game, or I should be saying, especially since they are playing Washington Thursday, that is going to be huge. If you can go a leg up there, get four wins before the rest of your division can hit that, going into Sunday, that's going to be huge. Trust me, we will get to the Eagles and that dumpster fire in itself. (laughs) 
But man, this Minnesota Vikings team, they were on fire these last three weeks, and they just kind of stalled. I mean, they had a decent game. Kirk Cousins with over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook was fed the rock, 27 carries with 115 yards and a touchdown. Minnesota even outgained Dallas, 430 to 376. I know it's not that big, but when you're typically seeing a team with 430 yards, you're usually picking them as the winner. But they turned the ball over twice and had eight penalties for 80 yards compared to Dallas's four penalties for 30 yards. Minnesota's dead. It was a nice little run. I thought they were going to repeat the run that they made last year when they were almost kind of dead in the water earlier in the season. Then they kind of sparked up, went on a nice six to seven game win streak and got them right back in the playoffs. Unfortunately, that's not the way it's going to go. But we'll see here. Obviously, we'll get to the Packers and Bears game that is going to be played Sunday night. Because if Chicago wins that, then all of a sudden, Minnesota's not really that dead anymore. But we'll get to that. And we are finally done with the hair of the dog. We're going to get to the real games, the week 11 recap of how we were looking. Obviously, talk about a little bit of our bets. I got to be cocky because I uh, wound up Wally. I think I two or three upped Wally this week. So I'm going to throw some, uh, I'm going to throw some shade as well as throw this beer back before. Speaking of uh, taking that Russ Cook, you were saying a little bit earlier, Russ got to cook in here a little bit, bouncing back against the Arizona Cardinals. 28-21 on Thursday Night Football. Arizona coming off that win. The Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins to beat the Buffalo Bills here last Sunday. Russ, 197 yards, a couple touchdowns. And Kyler, 269 and two touchdowns, which is nice. But the thing that stood out to me is Kyler Murray only had 15 rushing yards, as well as that whole Cardinals offense only had 57. That's the number one rated Offense in football, number one rated rushing offense in football. That's averaging almost 160 yards per game. And they held them to a hundred short of that. So Wally, with Russ Diamond playing that great, and the defense seemingly deciding to get their head out of their ass, this defense decides that they can play a little bit. How dangerous is the Seahawks team? If they can get a even average defensive performance out of the Sea or the Seahawks defense, they could be a Super Bowl team. I mean this is a team right now that added Carlos Dunlap. He had two sacks this last Thursday. It looks like a different beast with them. When you can get any kind of pass rush, you can give that secondary a little bit more time, and you're going to just see them reap the rewards from it. DJ Reed and Bobby Wagner, another couple huge games themselves this last weekend. I think that Seattle has the pieces there to improve uh, defensively, to get to that average point that we're even looking for throughout the rest of the year. And if that happens... You ask me what they can do. This is a Seahawks team coming through the NFC. No disrespect to the Packers, anybody else. Oh, in disrespect there. them. I, I, this is a Seahawks team that has a much easier path than, say, a Kansas City Chiefs team in the AFC, where that uh, playoffs is going to be with seven legitimately threatening teams that can't beat you on any given Sunday. So, I mean, I was blown away. It felt like we finally get to see Seattle. Uh, get their defense going a little bit. Jamal Adams still hasn't even played his best ball there yet. When he starts playing well, I mean, that's their division still to me. I am really excited to see that rematch with them and the Rams coming up in December because that realistically is turning into the NFC West championship game right now. So I, I guess I'm interested to you. Right now, do you think the Seahawks, Cardinals, even a game back, or the Rams are the favorite in the West? See, that one is tough. But before we get into that, let's talk about those said Rams 
who just embarrassed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night on national television, making Brady look like a frail old man with dementia, just throwing to the ghost of what he thought his receivers were in the New England Patriots. Tom Brady, one in three in primetime games this year. That's why I was asking if he is the new Kirk Cousins. Five touchdowns, five interceptions to go with that. That team looked horrible. And the only one they had at primetime was a two-point win against the New York football Giants. And the Giants had a chance to tie the game at the two-point conversion. That is so sad to me. So to answer your question while also giving you the question, the LA Rams are looking great. They're boasting the number one defense in the league right now. My pick to win the NFC West is going to be the Los Angeles Rams. Give me a reason to debate with you as well as what does this say about Tom Brady? Are they strictly fighting for a wild card spot? Or could can you see them potentially taking advantage of Drew Brees being out these next couple weeks as well? Uh, I'll start first of all with, with the Bucs. Uh, I, ironically enough, I'm not going to just put this all on Tom Brady and say he's the new Kirk Cousins. You ask a Buck fan, they have a really weird habit of just not playing on prime time. They just don't show up. It's kind of a thing that's been, uh, uh, I guess, a running joke in their fan base for the last decade or so. They just don't play well when the big or the lights are on and the people are watching. I still think the Bucs are very good. I still am really high on them. I think they just ran into a buzzsaw, like you mentioned. This Rams defense is no joke. If they had better quarterback play, I would put them ahead of the Seahawks. But at the end of the day, I'm taking Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll over Jared Goff and Sean McVay. It's purely a quarterback thing for me. And it's very, it's narrow. And I won't be shocked in the slightest if the Rams do happen to go to Seattle and steal the division. But right now, I know Goff looked really good against a suspect secondary for the Tampa Bay Bucks this last week. I need to see it against the dogs of the league. And I, I am still very skeptical. Years in, I'm still skeptical on Jared Goff. I just don't like his gameplay that much. He has great targets out there. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. He's just an Alex Smith with a little bit more of a long ball. They're, they're not making this offense too difficult for him, and they're making it just easy. But the number one thing that sticks out to me, the NFC West has three of the top five offenses in the league. Their defenses, Arizona, 15th. Seattle, dead last. Rams, number one. That's what sticks out to me. Yeah, but the Rams have the number five offense and the number one defense. That is scary. And they're arguably not as talented as when they were peaking during their Super Bowl run here a couple years ago. That's what makes it very scary and very hard for me to bet against the L.A. Rams right now. You're right. And here's the thing. I should have prefaced this. I'm glad that you did bring that up. If the Seahawks don't improve and continue to play better defensive football, they won't beat the Rams. This is me also assuming that the Seahawks do manage to get up and play more at that Arizona Cardinals level opposed to where, I mean, they are right now sitting dead last. It's kind of hard to get worse than that because you can't. But if we want to transition here from Jared Goff, why don't we go to the guy that was picked right before him in the draft about five years ago? Carson Wentz went to Cleveland, and guess what? Here's a shock. Another weather game. The rain, the wind, yet again, made Cleveland and their opponent have to run the ball at increasing inter- or increasing intervals. Carson Wentz looks lost, man. The, the opening score of that game was Carson Wentz 
literally setting the ball on a tee for the defender to pick it and run it back. He, he caught it like full speed running. The, the, the running back was six yards away from the ball. I don't know what's going on with Carson Wentz. At some point, we have to wonder if we stop blaming the lack of wide receivers and wonder if it's there's just a lack of talent at quarterback right now. You see, it's like that 30 for 30 Boston College when they're working with the mafia about the gambling. It's like Carson Wentz is purposely he's, – he's got to be there with the head dog in Philadelphia and be like, don't worry. Oh, defensive touchdown plus 270? Here, let's throw my rookie contract onto it and uh, I'll make it look like a real mistake. And he did a horrible job at it. Yeah, Carson Wentz just totally looks incompetent as that quarterback in Philadelphia. He just – three turnovers. He was sacked five times. I get it. If you're going to be under that much pressure, it's hard to throw the football. But everyone was praising you when you're under pressure last year and getting away with it and leading your offense, you know, through a very shitty division, ultimately to host a playoff game. But the Browns, like you said, another ugly win. They are winning ugly. This one was out was without Miles Garrett as well. They're getting they got five sacks without Miles Garrett. Two of them being from Olivier Vernon. Got got him through the trade with the Giants here last year. He looked great. Brown, 6-0 and against teams under 500, but 1-3 under 500. So I'll pose, it, I'll pose you with this question here, Wally. How detrimental do you think winning these types of ugly, grinded-out games can be for a Cleveland team facing potential playoff contention? I mean, come on, they're in the playoffs. This is their best start since 1994. You know, most of us were still shitting our hands and rubbing it in our face at that time. And this is the best time, best record that they've had. So I'll ask that question as well as, is it Jalen Hurts time in Philadelphia? I think that we won't see Jalen Hurts yet. I don't know what it'll take, but it feels like Wentz has, even to this point, he still has a bit of a leash to play with. People over there, they want to believe he's the number one quarterback they drafted. They moved, did they move up that year? They moved up to get him, did they not? Yeah, they moved up with the Cleveland Browns and took him number two overall. So this is a guy they've, they've been in love with. For years, I don't think that it's officially Jalen Hurts' time yet. We might see that as the year goes on. If we see more throws, they threw the Sion Talkie Talkie or however you pronounce his name on that pick six. Can't get over that name. That's crazy. But uh, going to the Browns. What about, what about Rocky Asin? Rocky Asin, yeah, from Temple. I was going to say with the Colts. Yeah, he's another one. This is a team, yeah, they've been aided by weather the last three home games they've had. But they're really getting the run game involved. Uh, yeah, Kareem Hunt struggled over the weekend. Only had 11 yards on 13 carries. But Nick Chubb, yet again, is proving why he's one of the best, if not the best running back in the entire NFL right now. 20 rushes, 114 yards, including that nasty stiff arm that was replayed about a dozen times over the weekend. The Browns are for real. Um, they're not good enough to go above their weight class yet. They're not going to beat a team like the Steelers. They're not going to beat a team like the the Chiefs or the Raiders. They're not quite there yet. This is a team right now, though, that you can move on and be happy. They're not, they shouldn't apologize for being seven and three. They should be thrilled with it. They're going to eventually get better, but that's going to happen throughout the offseason. But for once, the Browns can finally say they're beating the teams that they should be beating, which is something we have not been saying in a long time, Stephen. A long time. But yeah, the Browns, they will make the playoffs, especially with their schedule going up the rest of the way. I think they should end up the year 11 and five. Uh, but we'll see. This is this is a an ever growing and ever evolving process with the Browns, and I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the Browns uh, manage to sneak in right now with how competitive the AFC Wild Card is? I mean, they're obviously playing way better than than the Ravens are currently. 
And right now they're leading. They're the they're the number three in the AFC right now, if I'm not mistaken. So they are. the Browns are uh the Browns are I wouldn't say they're scary, but they have they have some aspect of scary when you're winning those ugly games like that. And something that I always preach. They have an edge rusher. They have a couple couple with Olivier Vernon. You have a two-headed running monster with a decent old line. That's something that you need in the playoffs and in the winter. And when you when you have teams like there's there's a lot of teams like the Green Bay Packers that just have better quarterbacks. Like you can beat Kansas City with the run. Obviously, we didn't see it this time around with with the Raiders, but the first time Josh Jacobs went off. The whole team. I mean, it helps too. The the Raiders were. Uh, I mean, Derek Carr had one of the best games of his career. His career both times. You need almost a perfect game to beat a team like that. I don't know if the Browns are quite there yet. I'm glad you brought up Olivier Vernon, though. All you, all you have to do to beat this team, sorry, Cleveland, stop the run, which, <laughs> good luck. True. And make Baker Mayfield the quarterback. For that's sure. That's all you have to do. But like I said, that's why I laughed when I said stop the run, because good luck. Because you can you can stop Kareem Hunt and you can stop Nick Chubb. You cannot stop Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb at the same time. You can stop them one at a time, but the other one's going to come and fuck you up. Right when you think you got... One running back, right? Here comes the other one. But, but I'm glad you did bring up Olivier Vernon, though, on the other side of the ball. That makes him more competitive. The Browns brought in Olivier Vernon last year, expecting him to be the guy that was going to pair up with Miles Garrett and make a real problem for the AFC North in terms of a pass rush. It really hadn't materialized until this year that Vernon looked as good as he has. They were, they were actually trying to sign Jadavian Clowney in the offseason, believe it or not. So this is... It's a, a very new God. Could you imagine if they did? Oh my God! He's not doing guys? shit. He's not doing shit in Tennessee right now. But could you imagine? Who knows? Maybe with with Vernon and uh, Miles Garrett there, what that the help, the support that's going to take the attention away. Who knows? Clowney might be having another outstanding year. But the Ravens, you mentioned them before. They are six and four now after losing back to back games. They lose at home in overtime to Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry was all but stopped in the first half before going off in the second half and overtime, over 100 yards combined in second half and overtime. 29-yard game winner to win the game. You got to see leaving guys in the dust, Earl Thomas in the dust as he's trailing down the field. This Ravens team is lost. We talked about this being a free fall game last week on the show. This is two dumpster fire teams. The Ravens had a chance to win this game in regulation. Poor quarterback play, poor decision-making down the stretch made it impossible to do so. Never saw the ball in overtime. I don't know if the Ravens get in anymore. This is a conference now. With the, with the wild card picture, you're going to have the Dolphins, the Browns, the Raiders. This is a deep, 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 deep conference, and they're going to have someone potentially with 10 wins left out of the playoffs this year. In a seven-team playoff in the AFC, that's so insane that we changed the rule this year to an additional team, and you still might see a 10-plus win team get left out. And I honestly, as of right now, I think it's the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. The Ravens haven't done anything for me to, you know, for them to gain my support. They're losing two awesome playoff teams that ultimately they should be beating based off the resume that they've been building up until this point. And man, oh man, they just can't do it. The Ravens are like that, 
are like that friend that can talk all the shit to you, but when you talk shit back to them, they get really defensive and start being dickhead back. They can run all over people, but they cannot stop that run. As if that defense doesn't practice against one of the best rushing offenses that this league has seen. At least last year, obviously, it's kind of going downhill this year. Big trust. Yeah. Ugh. Big trust. Jesus. I definitely don't want to. Definitely don't want that. But but this Titans team is fun. Derrick Henry, 100, 133 yards. Obviously, the twenty nine yard game winner in the overtime to beat the Ravens. I think Derrick Henry should get the nod for MVP this year. It will be the first time that a running back has won it since LT did it in two thousand six with Damian Thomas, and that was back to back with Sean Alexander and LT. Obviously, those guys both put up legendary seasons. With Derrick Henry over 1,000 yards already, and he's on pace for over 1,600 yards, he will be the first running back to have back-to-back 1,500-yard seasons and leading the league since Edron James did it with the Indianapolis Colts in 1999, posting 1,553 yards, and then in 2000, with slightly under over 1,700 yards. Why is no one talking about that? Everyone's at that point where that's what kind of sucks with these great players is that they get to a certain level and then we should just be expecting them to be performing at that at all time and not, you know, this, this isn't a sport that that's, that's how it happens. Basketball and baseball and hockey and all the others, you can have the longevity of that, but I feel like football, you'll have a one, one and done type of season and everyone will hold on to that. Then you'll average half the yards, the rest, and that'll get you paid through your whole career. This is a team, too, this Titans team, that unlike a lot of other teams now to be effective running the ball, they don't disguise it. They don't hide what they're doing. They tell you we are going to line up, hand the ball to this bull behind us, and he's going to run it down your throat 30 times a game. The fact that he's taking the touches that he has, the amount that he has had, the hits that he has had, and he's still putting up these numbers, it's remarkable. I think he deserves votes. That being said, most valuable player in the league, good luck prying that away from Patrick Mahomes right now. I think that he's got this on ice this oh, year. Oh, I can – no. Ice. Absolutely not. Put it on ice. I could argue – all the quarterbacks that are being talked about right now, you can argue between Russ, Patrick Mahomes, so you can sprinkle in Tom Brady, and I'm going to go as far as try to even put my bias aside. You can put Aaron Rodgers in there because all their stats are dead on. Stats are one thing. If you put Patrick Mahomes on the Tennessee Titans and take Derrick Henry off, are you telling me that that Titans team is better off with Derrick Henry than they are with Patrick Mahomes? No, but you can do that with Russ. Patrick Mahomes is the most valuable player in the NFL. That is my that is my whole point. He he gets the LeBron, he's getting the LeBron James treatment already, where we can't give it to this guy. Why? I mean, if we're going to give it to this guy every year, what's the point of the award? That's what we're doing already. Patrick Mahomes is the most valuable player he has a more in lo- the National Football League. He has a more loaded offense than any of the other MVP candidates. You're, oh, you're absolutely right. I'm, so how could that not go into a – don't get me wrong. Pat Mahomes is awesome. He's amazing. He's fun to watch as much as you hate to watch. Who is, is he, who is more valuable than him in the NFL right now? To his team? Yes. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. You're gonna tell you're gonna tell me, yeah, okay, yeah. I put Pablo Holmes in Seattle, it's gonna be fun. You put Pablo Holmes in Green Bay, it's gonna be fun. But dude, you put all right, you put fucking Ryan Tannehill 
in San Francisco, it's going to be shitty. You put Ryan Tannehill in Seattle against that, it's going to be shitty. Now we put let's put these good quarterbacks in here. That's the reason the team is good. You take Russell off there, it's going to be glaring problems like Green Bay's been getting shat on since Aaron's been hurt these last few years. It'd be the same thing with Seattle. I think schematically and coaching-wise, Andy Reid is the best out of all those all those MVP candidates, which helped because A, he has the weapons, and B, they proved that they can win with Matt Moore last year. Obviously, they're not putting up numbers as they as they will, but when you lose Pat Mahomes, you still have a perennial first ballot Hall of Famer in Travis Kelsey. So we've got Tyreek Hill. You have a Sammy Watkins when he doesn't hurt his hamstring every third snap. And then you have all these speedsters that you could literally blindfold and just throw it up like you're playing 500, and one of them is going to come down with it. So I guess my uh, ultimate takeaway from that, which I there's a lot of things you said there that I agree with. And we and we were talking about, what are we talking about with good quarterbacks? They make receivers better. Sure, Pat Mahomes make these receivers better, but they were better. They were pretty damn good before they got there because they were surviving with Alex Smith. I see, and I I will give you this because I guess if you're going to take it by that exact definition, I think I would agree that as currently constructed, you would say Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers is more valuable purely because of the surrounding talent. And I get where you're saying that, and I agree. What I would change my point then and change my argument to be is that in today's NFL, the mm-hmm. most valuable player is a quarterback. Yes. And that's why it's going to be very difficult for me to give it Derek Hen- to Derrick Henry. I think I think the hang-up for me is that Patrick Mahomes, in my mind, is the best player in the league. And it's hard to penalize, I guess, him for having the players around him. But based on the actual definition of the award itself, I would be more than happy to give the MVP to someone like Russell or Aaron Rodgers before I would give it to a guy like Derrick Henry. If Derrick Henry goes on another crazy run that he did last year, you know, those final few games. Yeah, if he rushed for like 200 yards a game and he gets them into the playoffs, I'll entertain a discussion. And that like not even get to the AFC Championship game again, but like the divisional round. Well, and, and remember, in theory, him. in theory, and I have air quotes, you can't see him right now, we do not include postseason stats in these awards, even though we all know there's plenty of voters that are swayed by what they see. That And those games could be the deciding factor. They absolutely You're, you're going to tell me, yeah, okay, mm, fuck, I was going to, I zoned out and thought Pat Mahomes won it last year when it wasn't. It was well, it's because he keeps winning MVPs that are like Super Bowl MVPs. They're like, they're oh, other God. MVPs. Here we go. Here we go. But <laughs> Excuse I, me. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not in love with Patrick Mahomes. I hate the guy. Nah, it's, I think you like him a lot. I think I have a ton of oh, you're, you're more of a you're more of a Jackson Mahomes kind of guy. Big TikToker. Big <laughs> TikToker. Oh, man. Well, someone who's off the rocker, obviously, as Walter is, because Derek Henry is going to be MVP. You guys heard it here first. If you guys want to shoot us a text, talk a little bit shit about who you think the MVP is, we'll give you a shout out here as well. Maybe we'll give you a little bit of money because you picked it out early. <laughs> but probably not. But we're going to flip it out here. And we're going to check it out west here where the Miami Dolphins visiting the Denver Broncos. And Tua getting benched in the fourth quarter after a, after a very lackadaisical performance of only 11 from 20, 83 yards, and one touchdown. But the man was sacked six times. Led by that defensive front, Bradley Chubb, NC State boy. What the fuck is up? And Melvin Gordon on the offensive side, racking up 84 yards. Nothing special, but two touchdowns that really gave it to him. So, Wally, for this game, is this just a bad game for Tua? 
Or is this Miami coming back to reality with the quarterback they have? And what do you think about Brian Flores pulling the trigger on benching Tua? Well, first of all, I have been very low on Miami this year. I even after three games, I was very I, – I, I think I called my shot this last week going into this game where I thought Denver was going to win this outright. I don't have too much faith in the current construction of the Dolphins. I think they're a year away. I really like Brian Flores. I argued that he should have been coach of the year last year. I think that his decision to pull Tua was borderline asinine. What are you doing? You This was a year you go in and you had no expectations to actually make the postseason. You leave your rookie quarterback in there to try to bail himself out, dig himself out of that hole, opposed to completely panicking, trying to get a, win, a W in the moment and putting Fitzpatrick in. Maybe that's me not ever playing the position where it's a little bit more, uh, it's harder for me to understand that. But I I just don't understand the rationale. And I think that it's got to be damaging for Tua, a guy that I can't imagine has ever been benched in his entire playing career, going back to him being a child. So yeah, and then they play this week. You alluded to them playing the Jets. Maybe it's a trap game. As of right now, I, I still I still like the Dolphins, but I do think they came back to earth a little bit. They are going to be right there with the Ravens, in my opinion, being left out. I forgot to mention, too, the Colts or Titans are also in that AFC wild card mix. So that's you know, another team you can throw in there. But man, I, I'm not very high on this Dolphins team. They're, they still have a couple difficult games here down the stretch. I know that they are going to play teams like the Raiders, which will be a difficult game. But, yeah, I, I, what do you think? Do you think that pulling Tua on Sunday was the right move? You try to do anything you can to get a W, or do you think it could have been detrimental? I don't understand why you would do that outside of maybe trying to protect him. He gets sacked six times. There's really nothing they can do that. That's that's something that your offensive line and your O-line coach needs to get straight, first and foremost. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick went right in there, not a problem. Put up more yards than, than Tua did in about, what, half a quarter? So, obviously, you know the offense can be played. It was a huge teaching moment for Tua, and Brian Flores doing that, I do not like that. I think that is a huge confidence or a huge ego strike, I would say, as a young quarterback, especially when they're riding that high and being 3-0. Why not leave them in there? They have magic that's been going on for the last three games. This could continue the magic even more. Maybe he leads them on the drive, leads them on a last-minute drive. And he said, fuck it, let's go for two. And you get the two, and you guys win. Next thing you know, it's 4-0, and two is even riding higher. But hindsight is, you know, 2020. Butterfly effect is the real thing. We're unfortunately not going to see this. And that is a deciding factor of why I think the Jets could potentially beat Miami with Tua facing some confidence issues. But at the same time, this is a perfect game for Tua to get his confidence back against the New York Jets. Your Green Bay Packers traveled to Indianapolis to face the Colts this last weekend. Managed to tie it up late before going into overtime and losing after an unfortunate fumble on the opening possession. And Rod Blankenship buried a field goal to give the Colts the three-point win in overtime. Walk me through how you were handling yourself after being up 14 and a half and effectively not seeing Aaron Rodgers have the ball the rest of the game. It was that was rough. The game started with a fumbled snap from our center Corey Lindsley, your boy Ohio State boy. That's how the game started. He ended up going out with a lower back injury that's been bothering him throughout the whole year. Ended up going out after that first drive. 
Green Bay turns it over yet again. There was four turnovers in the first half. It was very sloppy on both sides of the ball. Green Bay ends up going into the half 28-14. Aaron Rodgers just absolutely balling, looking great. Everything's looking good. The defense is playing way better than that that they have usually. You know, Aaron ends it with 311 yards and three touchdowns, one interception, very unlike Aaron Rodgers. But, man, oh, man, Phillip Rivers coming to play in the second half. You know, going in, going into halftime, that whole game, I wasn't I wasn't overly jacked up because at the end of the day, I thought, you know, even going back on the bets last week, that Green Bay never had a chance to win this game. Now, with them being up, I've seen them blow too many leads to get too comfortable with it, so I was happy. Third quarter did not start out the way we wanted. Three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, field goal, punt. It was miserable. They had 15 yards in the third quarter. They just did not let Aaron open up the playbook and just let him do his thing. And it was horrible. The halftime adjustments for that Colts defense, they outplayed us. We were outcoached. Honestly, Green Bay was outcoached in that entire game. They just got lucky the first half. And Matt LaFleur, what in the fuck are we doing out there? We have Aaron Rodgers, and we have the ball, the minute and a half left. And he is driving methodically. It started out sloppy, just like most of the drives did throughout the whole game. But Aaron got there and got there. Then what do we do? We're down within the 30. What are you talking about? When the clock, it was third and goal? Or third and, it was, I think we were at the 15 or so. We were, we were within the 20. Third down, clock is running. Aaron has everyone at the line ready to go. There's about 15 to 20 seconds that tick off there. That is my problem. Every single fucking game that Green Bay blows, they come back, they tie it up, want to force an overtime because they don't want to get too cheeky and turn the ball over and lose the game before forcing that overtime. Then they go into overtime to lose. We have seen it way too many times. Cardinals, back in the back in the wild card game in 2017, got the Seattle Seahawks in 2016, the NFC Championship game, where they settled, drove down, and got a field goal, didn't want to win, then ultimately lost that. It's absolutely outrageous. Matt LaFleur, horrible coaching, and even Aaron Rodgers. That fourth down throw to Jamal Williams was horrible, way off target, horrible clock management at the end. The Packers blew this game. You go and you play to win the game. And in that instance, you play to tie the game to lose in overtime for Marquez Valdez-Scaling to fumble on the first possession. I am so fucking tired of this. Green Bay, you've ripped my heart out once again. Well, another thing that was crazy in this game, and I'm glad you did bring up, first of all, that final drive for the the, uh, the Packers in regulation. Because, yeah, you have one of the best quarterbacks to ever strap up the helmets, put on the cleats, and you literally stand there waiting for 15 seconds and you box your quarterback in where all of a sudden his only option is to score a touchdown or throw it away. If you snap that ball 15 seconds earlier, you can be a little – a little cheekier as a quarterback. You can extend the play a little bit. You can get a first down and have time to get up and spike the ball. If you even have to take a sack, you're still in plenty of good field goal range and you have plenty of time to run on your kicker. You do not put yourself in that position. When they snap the ball, if he takes a sack, the game's over. If he completes a pass before the end zone, the game is over. There was nothing that they could do by letting the clock run down like that. It was some of the worst clock management I have seen. Last time I've seen that bad of clock management is when Matt Flynn was filling in for an injured Aaron Rodgers against the New England Patriots in the 2010-2011 season, if I'm not mistaken. But Matt Flynn almost led the Packers to a win in Foxborough. But at the end of the day, clock management is what ended up fucking him. And that's, that's what it looked like. He looked like that was the first time running his two-minute drill. 
when he can do these comebacks. I've seen him have these comebacks, and that felt like one of them. And for them not to just go for the win there, it just shows how fucking huge the labias on Matt LaFleur is. Well, and fl- flip it too, real R? quick. These are R. It works. Yeah, I did just say it. It's, it's all good. Don't matter. Fuck it. He has labias. There you go. The Colts were trying to give this game away. They had, and this, if I'm wrong, that's fine. Hand up. I'll, I'll own it. But Joe Buck, I believe, said that they had nine offensive holding penalties at the end of, of regulation on Sunday. Not all accepted, obviously, but that is an insane number. You do not win the NFL by committing nine penalties in general, let alone nine holdings. Those aren't the five-yard variety. We're talking 10 yards. We're talking drive killers. It kept Green Bay in that game. It's a reason Green Bay got the ball back and had the time. But they could have they could have potentially won that. Matt LaFleur declined one of the holding penalties. Which was to, smart. To make it a third down, which they ultimately put them in field goal range still. If you would have pushed them back, that would push them back into field goal range. They would have done But some- it stopped the clock. That was the whole point there. Oh, they stopped the clock for Aaron Rodgers to whittle it down? For 15 to 20 See, th- seconds. that was the crazy part. No. Is he had he did a great job managing the clock before they got the ball back, and then ultimately terrible clock management at the very end of the game. Now, before I want to dive into it, the Raiders game coming up, we'll transition over to my team. Steven, what did you make over the Chiefs come from behind win? Uh winning once again in the final minute of the game. Patrick Mahomes is very good at football. Uh spoiler alert. Well, um, for Wally, no, put the bleach down, bud. We can drink that here later. It's still early in the season. It's the Chiefs being the Chiefs. It's Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league right now. Arguably going to be the best quarterback to ever do it at the end of his career. It's just Pat Mahomes. You cannot give him any more than 30 seconds realistically. And he just, he just Mahomes you. I'm sorry, bud. If anything, the Raiders, as a Raiders fan, I'd be happy. They seem to be the only team that can keep up with this Kansas City Chiefs team. And that's fun. And honestly, as a Raiders fan, I would not have wanted to win this game because ultimately you could be facing this team again in the playoffs. So we all know you're 2-0 against a team and this is the third game. It's always hard to win that third game. Now it's even. Takes away a lot of that pressure. But Mahomes, 348, two touchdowns, one interception. Mahomes only throws interceptions against the Raiders. This is fun. I know that you don't like, I know that you didn't like to see it, but you know, Derek Carr, three touchdowns, interception. You know, the duo of Jacobs and Booker only hold, held to 71 yards and a touchdown, but still only 71 yards. And then you got Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and Le'Veon Bell combining for slightly under 100 yards and three touchdowns. That's typically what Booker and Jacobs is, is able to do for you. That's my takeaway. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. The Raiders, I think, are a good team. But just like, just like what you think with the Dolphins, I think a year away as well but way more competitive than the Dolphins are right now. So multiple things here. Yeah, this is one of the best uh, primetime games we've seen this entire season. I'm not, uh, believe this or not, I'm really not that upset whatsoever. When the Raiders scored through the touchdown to Jason Witten with less than two minutes left, with a minute 54, I want to say, I didn't expect to win the game. I think that I'm not even speaking uh, in the minority of Raider fans. I think the majority of Raider fans believe that this game was still going to go to the Chiefs at that point. So defense I've been highly critical of this entire season. Uh, it's just, it's been disappointing. Yeah, they've made strides. They've improved quite a bit over the last month. But they there are still gaping holes there. 
Derek Carr was phenomenal in this game. The interception, don't let it fool you. He threw it inside the last minute of the game. Less than 30 seconds left trying to get back in it. That was kind of a fake turnover. It doesn't really factor into how he played, in my opinion. Ultimately, this team is built to beat teams like the Chiefs. Chiefs are just too good right now. We'll see if they do meet up again in the postseason. The reason this loss sucks so much is that I really do think that if the Raiders win this game, they're a game back, have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs because they would have swept. Chiefs have a lot tougher of a, a schedule down the stretch, and the Raiders, who knows, maybe they do manage to win out. They would have had the tiebreaker, maybe uh, sneak out a division title, but now that's out of the out of here. You throw that out of the mind. It's on to just winning a wild card. We'll see if that happens. Nelson Aguilar had a chance to, to really put a stamp on this game, had a few great catches, a touchdown, uh, but he dropped two critical balls that might have flipped this game the other way. Very high on this team. We'll see going forward, though. They, they have to just take care of business. This next week will make or break my opinion on this team. This is a game in years past. The Raiders would lose. It's a matchup nightmare. But there's so much talent on this offense. I do think they have a shot against the Falcons. So we'll see, which is honestly the perfect way to throw it into it. Now, you know what time it is, Steven. You're over in Pittsburgh right now. We got FanDuel, legal betting. So let's just jump right into that guy right now. We'll start with the Thanksgiving game starting tomorrow. Hold on, hold on, Wally. You know what? Let's be real here, bud. We've been sucking the last few weeks. We've been trying to hide underneath the rock about it. But you know what? Let's get cocky this week, man. This is where it starts turning around for us, Walter F. Wally going 10 and 6 with all of his picks. He likes to do a combination of spread and money line on some of these games. I went 8 and 6 on here. At the end of the day, you win two bets. That's all you really want to look for. You're winning. Breaking even is the best case scenario. Well, best case scenario is winning all of them. If you're betting all the games, you're not going to win all the games. The whole point is to have – it's like it, – treat it like being a football team. You want to have that two, three games over 500 record – and we'll call it in our case instead of in our case instead of making the playoffs. You're just making money. We'll start with this first week here. Houston is traveling to Detroit tomorrow. Are we going to see those Thanksgiving uh, Detroit Lions uniforms tomorrow? The all blue, just a plain gray helmet. Can't lie to you. I those love are them. so fresh. I love them. They're sweet. A lot of people hate those uniforms, say they're boring, but I think they're sweet. But the Lions are three point dogs at home. This is purely a prisoner of the moment situation for me. I'm taking the Lions. I'm taking the Lions to win. It's a Thanksgiving game. I'm trusting Matt Stafford. It's a get-right game for them. I think they win at Ford Field outright. Cover plus three. Thanksgiving turkey. You're going to get to see uh, them get that whatever that stupid chicken wing is at the end of the game. Or How turkey dumb leg. are you? How you We're talking about turkey. Did you say chicken leg? It's the same thing. They're birds. Dude, birds aren't real. It doesn't matter. Sir, I don't there what you go. The fuck we're all is. on the same page. I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah, okay. that turkey leg. This one's hard. Like, I want to take the Texans after having that win. But Detroit is a different animal, pun intended, on Thanksgiving. I don't know what it is. As a Green Bay Packers fan, I hate playing the Lions on Thanksgiving. Something about it. I'm going to go with the Lions plus three on this one as well. Who you got as a winner? I'm going to take Houston money line with you as well. Oh, I took Detroit money line. Don't you don't put you me take in Detroit your... plus and money line. Oh, I'm taking Detroit all the way. This is a this is a turkey day for the Lions here. Detroit's finally going to get something to cheer about. Which speaking of finding something to cheer about, the NFC East 
has a matchup on Thanksgiving Day. All of a sudden, the NFC East has gone from one of the worst divisions in football to watch to arguably the most exciting. You have four teams that are within half a game of the first place and within half a game of being in the top 10 picks of the NFL draft. It does not get any better than this. You have the Washington football team traveling to Arlington to face the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys at home are two and a half point favorites. I'm going to complete the sweep for NFL games on Thanksgiving. I'm doing a double underdog money line here. I'm taking Washington to win this game outright on top, obviously, of covering plus two and a half. I just think Alex Smith is fine. He's playing pretty good ball right now. He's slinging it. That Washington defense is unreal. Chase Young's really coming into his own right now. Not to mention, I'm not buying all the smoke right now that's coming from Dallas in this last week. I don't think that it's more of a, they're that good. I think it's, we're looking at the Minnesota Vikings being that bad of a team. I'm picking Washington to win this game, but whoever wins it is my pick to win the NFC East. I almost said West. Washington's not very West in this country, Steven. Just thought I'd let you know. Actually, Washington State is pretty. Uh, You're true. Pretty true. West. Hey, hey, that's a fair point. I'm talking about the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia is going to be repping a team here that might be winning the division with five wins. Big district guy. Big district guy. Always have been. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Um, I'll stay on the. I'm not going to stay on the path of picking the underdogs. I'm going to stay on the path of picking the home team for this Thanksgiving. Dallas, another team just like Detroit, always scared to play in Dallas on Thanksgiving. It's at their, it's at Jerry World. Not that that really gives a shit, but something that's going underrated. This is a rivalry game. They're always fun games, but I would rather on a short week during Thanksgiving, obviously the holidays, I'd rather stay at home. That sucks. The traffic in Washington's horrible. Then you got to get out, get out there, fly out to Dallas, which is miserable because it's where the Dallas Cowboys reside. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to pick the Cowboys uh, minus two and a half. Still going to be riding the high on here. Surprisingly, Washington right now has a top six passing defense. So that's that's going to be very interesting, this matchup, especially with the receivers and obviously being a divisional matchup. You're very, very familiar with everyone. But I'm going to have to take the Cowboys minus two and a half at their home playground on Thanksgiving Day. I'm going to go with Zeke winning the turkey leg. And I'll give you guys a shout out. I know this is going to go out a little bit later. But if you catch it before this Washington and Dallas game, shoot me a text, shoot Wally a text, whoever can predict the winner of what? The turkey leg, whatever that they give. The gobbler? It, it, I'd the never gobbler. keep track of those it's things. It's either the gobbler or the turkey leg. If you can predict who you think is going to win that and you are correct, text me or Wally who your prediction is before the game starts. Whoever wins, only one winner, will Venmo you $50. Oh, yeah. Okay. That ain't happening. Not each. 25. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see about that. I can deal with that. 25 each. I can live. Arizona, all of a sudden, notice that there's not a Pittsburgh-Baltimore game here. I digress. It'll be the one following this, sadly, because they're not playing tomorrow. Yeah, I've already covered that. Did you Did you not listen to our podcast? I know. It just bums me out because I really wanted to see that game tomorrow. You're bumming me out. I am bumming myself out. Instead, you're going to be watching that New Mexico State game tomorrow night because that's what we have to live with at 7+. plus. Well, wait. Whoa, whoa. Okay. So, New Mexico's... Plus seven playing. Just always take New Mexico. It's a big Lobos guy. I mean, coming from uh coming from Raleigh, North Carolina, where the Wolfpack are, the Lobos, which is essentially oh, the, Mex- the Mexican word for a pack of wolves. Yep. You know I gotta go with that. 
Let's go Lobos. So Wait, hold on, hold on. We're rolling. Let me make sure Lobos is. That's fine. While you're looking that up, Arizona, minus two and a half going to New England. New England is unraveling ice. They're, they're, they're bad. They're not a very good team. I don't know if I'd say unraveling because that would mean that they were rattled to begin with. Oh, so, well, it's just a timber wolf. So it's just multiple timber wolves, yeah, which is a go. wolf pack. Holy shit. There you go. It's the same thing. Oh, nice. What game Big are you doing? Big Lobo guy. Yeah, Arizona, minus two and a half. I have Arizona beating New England outright. I, I think that, honestly, they win this game by two scores. Big Cardinals fan in this game. I, I just, I'm really low on this Patriots team, and I think that Cardinals will have a good get-right game and get themselves right back in the thick of that NFC West title race. So what do you think? You got the Cardinals minus two and a half here, or you go Pats? It, this one's hard. Right when we think the Pats have it together, they don't. Right when we don't, they do. This game just sticks out to me as one of those games as well. Stephon Gilmore, I know he's not having the season that he's having, but that Steph and D-Hop matchup is going to be so much fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. But at the end of the day, Arizona minus two and a half. That offense is fun to watch. On a side note, I would take Christian Kirk's receiving yards over whatever it may be. I'm pretty sure it's going to be stuck at 50, 51 and a half, something like that. The only reason I know is because I took him to have over 50 and a half receiving yards on the Thursday night game. And he got 50 and ripped my heart out. I think in a game like this, when you have your number one D-hop, going to be almost locked up. Christian Kirk's going to shine in this game. Arizona minus two and a half in Foxborough. The Ravens, four-point dogs. almost said favorites. Ravens are four-point dogs going to Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, they've been making themselves very vocal in the media this last week. Still planning on having this game on Sunday. Steelers are four-point favorites. We'll see if this game even gets played. But as of right now, they are planning to. Steelers have been very vocal on social media. They're discussing with the Ravens right now. Feel that this game should be forfeited. They don't think it's right that they should have to move yet again as they had to move earlier in the year from the Titans game. I say get over it. The whole NFL is dealing with this right now. The Steelers, though, are loaded. This Ravens offense is starting to struggle to move the ball. I think they're going to really struggle if this game is played. I think the Steelers do win. I do think they cover minus four. I think they win by a touchdown. Defense is just too much right now. I, I think it's going to take a team similar to the Chiefs to actually break through and, and give that Pittsburgh defense a little bit of problems. If the Steelers fall behind early, they do not have the offense to come back from behind. I just don't think that'll be a problem this week. So Steelers, minus four. You riding now that you're in Pittsburgh for the week? You riding with the hometown team? I'm riding, but I'm going to stick on the money line train. I just Pittsburgh are one of those teams that it's very hard to bet the spread with them because they will always win, but they'll never cover the spread. You know, they'll, those those matchups are always hard, especially in, in the you know divisional matchups with a rival like this that you're very familiar with. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh's money line. We do not have what those odds are. Obviously, they're going to be changing throughout the week with the game being Thursday and pushed back to Sunday. Even though even the line's going to change a lot, but for right now, Pittsburgh money line, I'd rather die with that. I even saw this. That J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, if the game is approved to go to Sunday, if they get negative testing time, they will be eligible to play, which is another reason why Pittsburgh's as disgusting as they are, that they wouldn't be playing tomorrow, but they might get them on Sunday. Yins need a forfeit. Yins got a forfeit is right in that. Whatever. That's fine. You'll figure out some of the in that stuff. It'll be great. I'll get you some icy light. We'll crack some open. It'll be a good time. You'll be no, a Yins before good, you man. leave. You'll be a Yinzer before you leave. No problem. Panthers. Go to Minnesota. School life here. Vikings are three and a half point favorites. 
money's trickling in on Carolina right now at plus three and a half. I disagree with the money. I'm going with the Vikings minus three and a half and the money line here. I just don't think P.J. Walker is as good as we saw this last week. I think that was more of a Detroit team that just had no reason to be in Carolina, had no want to be in Carolina. And I think this week you're going to have a little bit more of a motivated team that they're going up against. Vikings cover and win minus three and a half. This one's going to be interesting. We don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be back. We're just assuming that he is not going to be, and people are going to be riding with P.J. Walker. This is a very interesting matchup, a very hot rushing offense right now that is sixth in the league on the back of Dalvin Cook right now. And the Panthers have the 18th-ranked passing defense with Minnesota and the 19th-ranked passing offense. So that's going to be fun. Dalvin Cook, I think, is going to be the ultimatum in this game. They're going to be right, riding or dying with Dalvin Cook. Why would that change in this game? With that being said, Carolina's defense is the only defense worse than the Minnesota Vikings is arguably the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to wait until this line drops to three or two and a half and not not risky with that half point. So I'm going to I'm going to take Minnesota on the spread. Wait till it drops to three. But for the time being, for the podcast, I'll fuck around and take Minnesota minus three and a half. The Browns go to Jacksonville. They're six and a half point favorites on the road. This, I don't know. We have, we've seen Cleveland basically the last month and a half. They're just playing in a monsoon weekend. And yeah, week now they're probably going to some nice weather. Yeah, you say that. It'll be, end up being a tropical storm in Jacksonville. But until we figure that out, I think that this is going to be a game that the Jaguars play the Browns much tighter than most people probably expect. They do win the game. I just think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to cover plus six and a half, 24-20 kind of a score right here. Would be a little lower than what Vegas is projecting the over-under to be. But I think that Baker's going to struggle a little bit on Sunday. And that, that's what it's going to turn down to. If you believe that Baker Mayfield is going to have a decent game, pick the Browns to cover. If you think he's going to struggle a little bit, hag or hang the, your money, hag, hang your money on the Jaguars. Jaguars will keep this close, but the Jag or the Browns will win this game, but it will be closer than most think. So you're taking I am taking Jags. the Browns to win, but the, the Jaguars to cover. Yeah, this one's interesting. Depending on if Miles Garrett Miles Garrett comes back, I think that will be the deciding factor at the end of the day, Saturday or Sunday when this does roll around. But that's a large spread. It's hard to trust Cleveland with these types of spreads right now because you're still trying to figure figure out what type of team this is. That rookie quarterback that they have in Jacksonville knows how to play. He obviously got shat on one of the best defenses in the NFL this year. So what are you going to expect? But that being said, I'm going to ride with you. Jackson Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars, plus six and a half, but taking the Browns money line because they should win this with no problem. The Vegas Raiders are going to the Mercedes-Benz Dome to play the Atlanta Falcons. The Raiders are minus three. Lots of money rolling in on Atlanta. That terrifies me. I don't think they're wrong. But I have to – I don't know. I just, I just have a weird feeling the Raiders are going to grip a very, very tight game out. I'm going to pick them to win in cover, not because I don't think this is going to be a close game, but I, but because I trust Derek Carr if the ball's in his hand at the end of the game. So I'm going to go with the Raiders to win in cover, but this will be a 60-minute game. I think that this is going to be heartbreaking for one of these two fan bases. I'm just hoping I'm on the right side of it. Steven, tell me why I should be worried. Oh, you know why you should be worried. We've talked about it in front of the mic, behind the mic, everywhere. I'm not going to touch the spread of this game because, yeah, this is 
This is Atlanta ripping your heart out, written all over it. Over under 55 and a half, I'm definitely taking. I'm, I'm staying away from the spread. I'm going to be over 55 and a half. Obviously, if I were you guys, I'd wait for this line to die down a little bit. But for the time being, for the podcast, like I said, and I'm picking the over because these are a battle of two of the bottom 10 passing defenses in the league, coupled up with Atlanta, who has the second best passing offense, as well as the Raiders, who aren't aren't that good, aren't that bad right in the middle pack of their passing offense. But you know Derek Carr can light them up, especially with the fucking secondary as bad as Atlanta. Over 55 and a half. That's one of those weird ones, too, where the Raiders – they just haven't had the need to pass all year because they are so dependent on the run that they don't need Derek Carr to blow up the stat sheet like you would see for some of these other teams towards the top of that list. But going on to the next game, Raiders second home, the Los Angeles Chargers. They are traveling to Buffalo. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs. I think that this is a classic Chargers game where they play this game tight the whole way, may even be leading in the fourth quarter. I'm picking them the cover, but this feels like a three- or four-point loss to the Bills. So I have the Bills winning this game at home, another one-possession loss to the Chargers. Chargers cover, lose another heartbreaker. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go with the Chargers plus five-and-a-half. They are a team that loses by one possession. And this is a – obviously, the spread isn't – it is a technically a one-possession. But I think it's going to be perfect. This is a game that the Bills win by four or five, and we get saved by the half point or the point or the point and a half in this point. That Bills defense isn't what we are accustomed to. They're not their rushing defense isn't that good. They potentially can have Austin Eckler back coming off of IR with that hamstring injury. He's been out for a while with the with Kalen Bollage coming out here. He's playing nicely, mostly in the receiving game. I can see the Chargers lighting this game up. Josh Allen obviously is electric to watch. You're not a big Josh Allen guy. You know I am. But I'm going to go with the Chargers plus five on this and the Bills money line like you, Walter. It's good that we're on the same page there because I know we're not on this next game. The Dolphins are six-and-a-half-point road favorites. I am big on the Dolphins here. I think this is going to be a game where Tua comes back. Looks well. Uh, looks very good here. And the the Dolphins themselves – win this game, I don't know, something like a 27-10 kind of game. Ugly, ugly game. You're not going to enjoy it if you watch. But if you have money on the Dolphins, at least you can stomach it because they will win and they'll win by more than a touchdown. I'm going to fuck around. Put the Jets' money line plus 240. Wow. They're sitting at home. They That was arguably the closest that they've came to victory this year against a solid team. The record does not dictate how Solid of a team the Los Angeles Chargers are, but I'm I don't know. There's something there's something that's brewing. What I was saying before with Brian Flores taking Tua out benching, the ego hit that it's going to take on Tua. I think it's going to lead over into this game. He's going to be sloppy. He's going to second guess a lot of things, and it's just not going to. This is going to be Tua's worst game that without without a win. I should say it's not like he's been putting up amazing numbers, but this is the game. At two illusions. Wow. That'll be interesting. So you know you we're we're separating, so bet at your own risk there. The other New York team, they are going to Cincinnati to face the Burrow Less Cincinnati Bengals. Ryan Finley will be starting. The Ryan Finley led Bengals are five and a half point dogs at home. To me, this feels like the bet of the week for me. Giants need this game. The Bengals don't want any part to even be in the stadium. I think the, the Giants honestly blow them out. I think the Giants win, win by two scores. Cover all that. 
Bengals are going to be a team to fade the rest away. The there's just no no reason for them to win. There, I mean, there's no talent for them to win if they wanted to, honestly. So yeah, Giants pick. The Bengals are leading every statistical category, team wise, rushing, rushing offense, defense, passing, rushing offense, defense, passing, offense, defense. They're leading the Giants astronomically. But even though with my guy Ryan Finley from the North Carolina State University, go Wolfpack is not going to be enough. Five and a half is even a lot. I think the Giants are going to embarrass this Cincinnati Bengals team at home. Minus five and a half. I don't know if I trust that spread. I'm going to go with the Giants. Minus 270 on this one. The Titans. Three-point dogs going to Indianapolis in what is the biggest game without a doubt in the AFC South this year. The winner of this game is in the front seat and driving here to possibly win the, the South crown. Colts to me, I'm going to take to cover and win this game outright. The Titans, yeah, they won last week, but they've been floundering here this last month. They've looked bad. Derrick Henry has to get going, and it's going to be interesting to see. I just don't think against that stout defensive line and or front seven in general for the Colts, I don't think that they're going to be able to. I'm taking the Colts to win. I think they're going to cover, and I think they're going to do so without breaking too much of a sweat on Sunday. I mean, their front seven and their secondary. The secondary is not It's just not a good bad. defense. It, I mean, from top to bottom, it's a good defense. Well, and this is the defense that we've, we've honestly been harping about, but we've just been waiting to really start riding that train because who have they played? You know, now they've played a couple pretty good offenses. I mean, they held the Packers at three points in the second half in overtime. That's a, yeah. Even they let up, they let up what, 28 in the first? Yeah, 28 14 going in a half. And three. Like that, that's awesome. That's not done very much against Aaron Rodgers having second half adjustments and him losing the game the way that they did. But yes, I, I think I'm going to finally be on this Colts train. I know we've been kind of going back and forth. I, I originally have the Colts winning this and the Tennessee Titans being the wild card out of this originally in the beginning. But now I can finally be very confident about the Colts. You're getting it rolling, having a game like this against the Packers and winning it. They've had a couple comeback wins. They're starting to string in some wins together, and they're looking for the respect that, you know, honestly, they deserve with the defense like that. I'm going to go with the Colts minus three as well. I'm not going to touch the money line. I'm just going to trust it on the field goal. Saints are traveling to Denver. Back-to-back weeks here. The Broncos are home dogs. Mile high. Getting into winter out there in Denver. It's, I mean, the weather's starting to turn a little bit. Nasty. The Saints typically don't play that well in conditions like this, but they don't have Drew Brees. Different Saints team. Taysom Hill going out there, not as dependent on the pass. Six and a half point home dogs is really tough for me to go against. Broncos have been playing a lot better besides that Raiders blunder a few weeks ago. I'm taking the Broncos to cover, but I think the Saints are going to win a nail biter. Taysom Hill does just enough to get it done. I think this is, I mean, this feels like a 24 21 kind of game to me. Broncos win. Or let me rephrase that. Sorry. Saints win, but the Broncos do cover. I hate that we're agreeing a lot, huh? Yeah, we're agreeing a lot. Never result in anything positive for our <laughs> listeners. But yeah, if this you, you took the words right out of my mouth, right out of my head. If this was Drew Brees going into Denver, this would be a completely different story. We don't have any information on Taysom Hill or potentially maybe that, that they will have Jameis Winston starting. Regardless, Taysom's used to it in BYU, too, that weather out there. It's very similar, very similar altitudes and all Yeah, that. but he's probably getting more puss than the other folks. They don't really you know, watch over him as Unless much. Unless he's still taking on that Mormon lifestyle, then what's the point of being an NFL star? I don't know. I have no idea. That's a, that's great. 
But I'm going to go with Denver plus six and a half. And, you know, I wrote this down, but I'm just going to fucking scratch it out. I'm going to pair it up with Denver's money line because I'm feeling frisky. Why not? This plus Broncos, 220. The Broncos seems much better than their record shows, too. But with, besides, again, that, that terrible game a few weeks ago against the Raiders, Broncos have been competitive in a lot of games. Drew Locke looks like he's starting to get a little healthier again. He's been banged up the last few weeks. Why not? I like it. Now let's travel here out west yet again. You have the Los Angeles Rams, a seven-point home favorite against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not going to waste too much time with this. The 49ers are a shell of themselves. The Rams are playing some of their best football right now. I think they win, and I, I think they'll cover, but this is one of those weird games. It's minus seven right now. If this moves to six and a half, I'd probably be more comf- or comfortable. If it went to seven and a half, I'd probably be a little nervous to take this. But as it sits at seven, I'm going to take the Rams because I think at worst comes to worst, you get a push here and you get your money back. But Rams minus seven and they win. I'm going to go with the Rams minus seven on this, Walter. San Francisco has not done anything, obviously, recently with all their injuries to tell me that they are going to be competitive against this Rams defense. I have the Rams minus seven all day. I'm scared. I do not want to say the L word because every time we say the L word, we fuck it up. But this is definitely close to the L word. You're right. It's a lock. I didn't say you said it. Was this? That's why we record everything to keep it on record. The Chiefs. Uh, this is a really good game. It's one of those that you look at it and then you see your Packers Bears on Sunday night. And you wonder why it's not there. The Chiefs are playing in Tampa. Uh, they're three and a half point favorites right now, but it's a four twenty five game. At least it is the nationally televised game on Sunday four twenty five. I, to be honest, I, it's another big game I, that, that I think Tampa Bay is just going to shrivel up in. I think the Chiefs win. Honestly, this is a game where I feel comfortable throwing a little extra money on. Chiefs are only a week off their bye. They're, they're, they're pretty fresh right now. They got their tackles back from COVID. I feel good. I, I take the Chiefs win, and I think they win comfortably here. Oh, this one is so fun. Right now, I'm taking Bucks plus three. Really? And a half, sorry, plus three and a half. Only because the half point is saving me right now. Not not that the Chiefs rely on their running game. They prove that they can win with just their running game. That running game is going to be shut down. This Buccaneers rush defense is quietly, we've been kind of praising them all year. They're the best rush defense in the league right now. And their pass defense is barely top half. So that's going to be a very fun matchup. But I think that that... That front seven of the Bucs is going to be able to get to Pat Mahomes like no other team outside of your fucking Raiders apparently can do. So I'm going to go with the, the Buccaneers plus three and a half right when we want to write Tom Brady off of being old. It always seems like right when we're the week leading up, when we're shit-talking Tom Brady about his previous week's performance, he comes out and balls. And you know what? The thing that sticks out to me, this isn't a primetime game. If it was a primetime game, I'd be riding with the Chiefs, Mr. Kirk Cousins Jr., Kirk Cousins Jr. Senior. I don't know how that works. Don't do that. They'll start kissing before too long. Hey, I am fucking cool with that. A Kirk Cousins, uh, Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady kissing cousins. I'm already thinking of the fucking, already thinking of the film uh, title. But yeah, Bucks plus three and a half. We're we're making some shockers here. Chiefs, fourteen and two written all over them. So your team now. We're going to go to the primetime game Sunday Night Football. The Chicago Bears. Going to Lambeau, again, we talk about weather turning. It's this time of year, Green Bay. It's going to be cold. It's going to be chilly. It doesn't matter the weather. Green Bay is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite against your rival Chicago Bears. I'll come out and just say my pick real quick. I'll keep it brief so you can go. 
The Bears cover plus eight and a half, but the Packers will win this game. I, I don't know what it is. I just feel like the Packers are going to have to grit this one out a little more than they should. This is kind of the Bears' last gasp on the season. This is either Green Bay wins by 20 or they, like, squeak it out. Or obviously they, they lose. I mean, those are some pretty obvious uh, results that you could have. I agree with you. Chicago plus eight and a half. What's up, Fonz? I know that we're going to be texting all weekend, you Argentinian fuck. I know. We all love Diego Mar- Maradona. But I'm going to put that aside and talk so much fucking shit to you. Khalil Mack. Fucking hate this time of year. I hate it. I hate that we have to allow Khalil Mack to play against my team twice a year with the possible result of putting Aaron Rodgers out of his misery like old Yeller. Chicago plus eight and a half here. Aaron Rodgers' kryptonite is a top five defense. Chicago, okay, they're not a top five defense overall, but they're still still a scary enough defense for Aaron to worry about. A top ten defense in your division is just as scary as a top five defense outside of it, in my opinion. And they're going to have to play each other very soon again after this in Chicago. And if I'm not mistaken, the last game of the year. So that can cause some problems. And like we were saying earlier, if Chicago ends up winning this game, that's going to open up the Minnesota Vikings to potentially work their way in here as well. But I'm going to go with Chicago plus eight and a half. I have no confidence about my Packers right now. I'm going to stick to it. Even even with Flaccid Foles as their quarterback. Well, speaking of Flaccid Foles, we're going to go back to where his legend began. On Monday night, Philadelphia, they are hosting the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are minus five right now going into this game. The Eagles are an absolute joke of a franchise that is doing everything in their power to destroy a top two quarterback or drafted quarterback. I don't think that they win this game, but Seattle doesn't play normal games. I think that this game will be tight for most of it. Seattle will win, and I think they cover late. In the fourth quarter, I think you're going to see a score of some sort. I don't know if that's going to be caused by the defense, but a score that's going to put it over five and the Seahawks win and cover. Last game here, Monday Night Football. What are you thinking? You got uh, which bird, I should say? These games always end the same. 17-9, 23-19, those weird-ass results. But this year, fuck no. Seahawks by a million. And I'm going to go with the over 50. That's that's embarrassing. I think easily Russell Wilson and the Seahawks can put 30 to 35 up with Carson Wentz actually looking like a quarterback against that defense. Depending on how that offensive line wants to play, giving up five sacks last week against a Miles Garrett less Browns. That's going to be the deciding factor to see if Carlos Donuts wants to add to a sack total for the year. So I got to take the Seahawks minus five over 50. And that's going to bring us to the end of our show. Episode number 12 of Loss of Down. Back in person again. I don't know when we're going to be able to do this. Maybe around Christmas time? Probably right around Christmas time. Right around Christmas time. We're going to be stuffing our face with some snickerdoodles right below the mistletoe. What? And um, uh, what? No. What would you say? No, you're cute. Chocolate chip cookies. I didn't dispute any of the other stuff. Yes, chocolate chip cookies and mistletoes. Thank you again for joining us here. If it's listening via Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple Music, however you do listen to us, I appreciate you. Please stay patient with us. We are working on merchandise of t-shirts and hats, and we'll make sure to be able to get that out for you. Like I said, Wally will not promise it, but you know, I'll fuck around and promise it because I've been drinking. 
If you can predict the winner of the Turkey leg for the four o'clock game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team, if you can predict that and text it to me before kickoff and you get it right. Only one person will win, but I will send you $50 for that. Listen to our bets. I'll, I'll go 50, 50 with that. Yeah. So that's a hundred dollars. Was that what you, Oh, I meant, I, I was going to say <laughs> you chill out. Take it back. It's $50. That's 25, 25 each. Check us out on all social media platforms. We have Instagram at loss of down. We have Facebook loss of down and as well as Twitter. And it's going to be the Twitter one is add down underscore loss because it was unfortunately taken before. So that's what it is. Down underscore loss. It's not that hard. You just mix it around. He never thought of putting loss of down and all the all the O's were zeros in there. He never thought of that. Nah. Fucking yinzers. What are you going to do? Check us out here next week. Like I said, on anchor.fm, Spotify or Apple Music. He is Walter Lukashensky. I am Stephen Weed. You guys have a safe Thanksgiving. We'll catch you here next Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving. If the Bucks play and avoid COVID, take them. Buckeyes by a million. 